Hello everybody and welcome to Walking Between Shadows. I'm Taryn Elliott and along with me is my amazing husband. I'm Ben Elliott. And we're here to talk about true crime all the time. We have something new to talk about, right? Yeah, we do. All right. Well, it's new, but it's an old case. Yeah. What brought us to this? Well, we have been researching and doing podcasts the past month and a half, two months on Debbie and Ambria. Deborah Harris and Ambria Halliburton from Milan, Tennessee. Yeah, so it goes back to the first case we did. Right. And okay. and uh, uh, someone that was named as a suspect. Oh, gotcha. Tommy Lynn Sales. Gotcha. We'll get to that. The coast-to-coast killer. Coast-to-coast killer. All right. Well, good deal. Yeah. Tell me about it. All right. This was in 1987 in a very small town called Ina, Illinois. Ina? Yeah. You know, I know right where that is. Yeah. That's kind of creepy. Very small town, right? Yeah. I When I moved to Illinois, I moved to Nashville, Illinois, just due west of Ina in Mount mm-hmm. Vernon area. And I actually worked with some people and taught some classes at uh, Wren Lake Community College, which is right there at Ina. Mm-hmm. Driven through there a couple of times. Yeah. Very small. Yeah. I mean. That's all I can say about it. Because yeah. I think there's. I think there's a like a general store and a bank, uh, gas station, and there's a railroad that runs through there. Yeah, not much, but... Right. Yeah. So, there was a family that had moved from Mount Carmel. Do you know where that is? Yep, I sure do. Okay, well, they had moved from, from there to Ina, Illinois, mm-hmm. and bought a little single-wide trailer, and it, it was a family with, a, with the names of... The father was Keith mm-hmm. Dardine. The mother was Elaine. Mm-hmm. The son was Peter, and the daughter was not born yet. So the mother was pregnant with a little girl. How far along was she? She was already like eight months. And you're, I'm thinking back in 1987. Mm-hmm. That's rare that you even knew what you were having. Yeah, yeah. Before you had the baby. I mean, I had my oldest in '93. And I did find out, but I was like six months, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess they could have, I mean, been that, that sure. far along. Sure. So they were living in this little trailer in in um, Ina, Illinois. And Keith Dardine was working as a plant operator in a uh, a plant about 10 miles from Ina, Illinois, called uh, Benton. Yeah. Yeah, you know where that is, too? Yep, sure do, yeah. Elaine was working at Staples, it's, mm. and I'm sure that was not Nina either. I, I I don't know where that was located, but it was not in Nina. Well, in that area, if if it was like a big office supply like Staples, it probably was in Mount Vernon. Yeah. Mount Vernon's about the size of Jackson, Tennessee, say fifty to seventy thousand. Okay. Yeah. Well, she was working there, and and Peter was three years old, so mm. they had this baby, and then she was, and Elaine was eight months pregnant. This was. You know, uh, known to the community and to the family of these two, uh, a good family, uh, worked hard, saved money for their for their son. Mm-hmm. We read something about how Keith would go to go to like Sam's and buy or somewhere like that and buy large quantities of this cheap off brand sodas, take them to work at the plant he was working at, mm-hmm. and sell them for a little bit more. And put that money back that he made off of them 
in Peter's college fund. Yeah. So, I mean, they were pinching their dollars, and they were, they had bought this trailer. It was a one-bedroom trailer, so mm-hmm. it wasn't very big at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they were expecting this baby. Mm-hmm. The Keith was real frugal with everything. Right. They were in the church, and it was a Baptist church in the community, and both were big in the band, mm-hmm. the church. So, I mean, that's that's a couple things we knew about them at the time. Um, on November the 18th, Keith Dardine was supposed to show up at work, mm-hmm. and he was reliable, and this, and he, he did not show up. Yeah, he was not known for missing work no. or sick or anything like no. that. And, and before this, let's go back just a little bit. We were talking about Keith Dardine and this town. Mm-hmm. So Ina, Illinois is known for its being, it being so tiny, it was only populated by like 400 and something people. Mm-hmm. It also is known for a very murderous past. I mean, like scandalous and, and a lot of things went on in this town that would, should not go on in a town of 480-something, I think, people. Yeah, I think what you had told me, I looked up, and, and in a span of 10 years, 5% of the town's population uh, had been murdered. Right. It yeah. was known for murder and rape. Yeah. So. Or I'm sorry, that was violent crimes. Roughly 5% of the community had been affected by violent crime. Well, there was 15 murders. Yeah. During that time that we were talking about, I think it was like 10 years, five, 10 years. Yeah. And there was the last murder there in 1987 before this case we're speaking of was a 10 year old little girl Mm -hmm. that was murdered. The same year. Same year. Wow. Okay. So Keith had become extremely paranoid and, and told his mother that he wanted to move back to Mount Carmel. He, and move his family back. He didn't care if he had a job there or not, which is weird. As frugal as they were with their money. And they didn't make a lot. So, no. Yeah. And, and it looked like they were doing a lot of things to, to make extra money. They had lab puppies there. Mm-hmm. So at that, during that time, people were coming by and looking at these puppies and maybe taking a couple out and taking them home, buying them. So they're selling these puppies. And and they had put their trailer up for sale because of the paranoia mm-hmm. that Keith had started to to feel. Mm-hmm. He actually even turned down. A woman came to his door one night, and it was dark, mm-hmm. and it was getting cold. And she came and knocked on the door and asked for help if she could use the phone, and he turned her away. Yeah. And from that point on, he wouldn't even answer the door. So it was, we know now that he was very uptight and and paranoid. Mm -hmm. He goes, he was supposed to be into work on November the 18th and he was working a night shift. Mm -hmm. He did not show up, uh, did not call in to work. His supervisor called him several times and he never did answer. Mm -hmm. So he got worried. And I don't know if he knew about Keith's paranoia or not. No. But he started to call the parents of Keith up in Mount Carmel. And Keith's father, you know, stated to his supervisor he had a key. Just go on and call the police over there, and they would meet the police there. Mm -hmm. And if they had any problems getting in, he could use his key as backup. Yep. So he he goes to uh, Keith's father drives down and and meets the police there at 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 the address of his family. Mm -hmm. And they knock on the front door, and nobody answers. So they're going around with flashlight and looking around to the back. 
knock on the back door, nobody answers, and the police shine a spotlight in through the windows and see legs coming out from covers, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was bodies under under covers, and mm-hmm. they weren't responding to the knocks. So they opened the back door. It was not locked. Yeah. Very it, weird. Yeah, odd for him to be so paranoid. Right. And this will be the 19th of November when this happened. It was after dark, so mm-hmm. nobody had heard from them since the day before, earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. And they go in and find a horrific scene. Mm-hmm. 30-year-old Elaine, 3-year-old Peter, and a newborn baby, baby Cassie, were all tucked into the bed together mm-hmm. and had been beaten Bound and beaten by with a baseball bat that that Keith had bought for Peter for his birthday shortly before this happened. Mm-hmm. Elaine was also had also given birth during this experience to the baby. The baby was alive, but was beaten to death with the baseball bat as well. Elaine was sexually assaulted with this bat, and it was left inside of her. Mm. And Keith was nowhere to be found. The scene, you could, there was some ropes to a chair that were or ties to a chair that it looked like Elaine had been bound. A little bit of blood there, too, but there was blood everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. it looked like they tried to clean it up, whoever did this. Mm-hmm. So that automatically goes to Keith. Where's Keith? Yeah, because he's nowhere on scene, nowhere to be found. Hadn't been heard from. And his dad noticed that their family car was gone, right. but his truck was still there. Right, so he had a truck, and they had a small Plymouth like a uh, two-door car. Red car. Or yeah. Right. That was gone. Mm-hmm. So there was a bolo put out, you for know, Keith. for that, that vehicle, too. Yeah. And the 20th of November, which would have been two days later, uh, his the vehicle, the Plymouth Red Plymouth, showed up in front of a police station in Benton, mm-hmm. same same town that he worked in, mm-hmm. that Keith worked in. Mm-hmm. There was blood all over the car, splattered all over the car, mm-hmm. but no Keith. Mm-hmm. A little bit, well, yeah. So a little bit down the road, and a mile away from the trailer mm-hmm. where the where the other, the rest of the family was found, some hunters came across Keith Dardine. Mm-hmm. But Keith, they didn't know that at first. They no. just knew it was a super mutilated body. Right. And as soon as that was phoned in to the, to the police, I'm sure they knew this town being so small. But who knows with all the other shit mm. that went down, yeah. you know. Yeah. So they come across, and it is Keith Dardine. And he had been shot in the head three times. Mm-hmm. And his penis had been severed mm. and placed in his mouth. Oh, God. Which makes a huge statement to me. This sounds like something satanic. Yeah. Mm. So years later, I believe that was 2002, when Tommy Lynn Sales confessed to these murders. Which we know now a lot about Tommy Lynn Sales and what he liked to do about confessing and, and go on these field trips and feel special and relive these murders. This case has been reopened since then. It's still an open, cold case. Because mm-hmm. it's Keith's mom that's really kept the ball rolling, right? Right. Wasn't it his mom that, like, always checked in with the investigators and yeah. actually helped run some leads down, I right. think. Okay. Well, Tommy Lynn Sales claims that 
Keith Dardine picked him up. He was a transient. We knew that about Tommy themselves. Mm-hmm. That Keith Dardine had picked him up from a bus stop, I believe, mm-hmm. and asked him to go home and have a threesome with Elaine and him. Yeah. 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 So, you yeah, know. This super paranoid guy who won't open the door for a lady in distress just to use the phone is going to pick a drifter up. Yeah, Tommy Lynn said yeah, he was sense. amazingly, you know, stunning. Yeah, yeah, he looked like somebody you could trust. Yeah, yeah sure. So, yeah, let's take him back to our eight month pregnant, you know, wife. And, mm. the, and my three year old's there, too. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> he watched cartoons. Yeah. Yeah, no big deal. So, that Keith Dardine's family and Elaine said, there's no way. You know, this could never have been. Right. Um, That's just, and it wasn't Tommy Lincell's M.O. I mean, it really wasn't. He was, I don't really know what his M.O. was. Mm -hmm. I think he he was convicted on one murder charge, and that was Kayleen Harris. Yeah, Yeah, and down in Del Rio, Texas. Yeah. In 2000, right? 99, 2000? Yeah, it was 99 when it happened, I think. Well, it was two, It was New Year's Eve. Right. So, yeah. Right. And it would have been soon after, you know, the Debbie and Ambria yeah. murder. But, I, I mean, here's a guy that confessed to or claimed over 100 murders. Yeah. But like what we saw with Deborah and Ambria, the story did not line up at all. No. He he tried to claim to know the scene and, and all that kind of stuff, but nothing really matched up. And and what did was what he had already seen in the news about it. Yeah. So he was telling them the news and claiming he'd done it, but nothing ever, yeah, nothing else ever matched up. Yeah. So another suspect was a man by the name of Angel Resendez Ramirez. Oh. Yeah, yeah. him again. So him that was again. another named Serial killer in the Debbie and Ambria case we covered. Yep. Weird time. I mean, you're thinking 1987 and and the deaths of Ambria and Debbie were in 1999. So mm-hmm. they named two serial killers. So they just happened to be in Illinois at that time. And they just happened to be in Tennessee, too, at the yes. exact same time. At the same time. But they weren't traveling together. No. And they didn't work together. Okay, so, mm-hmm. yeah. But there was the railroad that ran through... Yeah, so unlike Deborah and Ambria, that guy was linked because of how close the railroad was to the Dardine family mm-hmm. trailer. Right. Um, it was way too far away in Deborah and Ambria's case, but he was still brought up. Yeah, and and here he was brought up, but it was not his mo as well, and it mm-hmm. was it you know it just didn't match his his timeline and where he would be located at those times. Yeah. So he was ruled out. Tommy Lincell still has uh, the Dardine family listed as one of as well four of his victims mm-hmm. on on the list of victims he has confessed to murders of. But now we're going to talk about my theory. Mm-hmm. I need to say uh huh <laughs> one uh-huh. more time. <laughs> anyway, so go ahead. Yeah, I, you've told me this, and I I tend to agree with it. Okay. So. <laughs> My theory on this, and, and we're looking back at 1987, and that's a different time, way different. And it's further back than we can really even comprehend right now. And we're looking back at at a time where they didn't accept maybe homosexual relationships. Right. There was a, a person that had been coming by looking at puppies. And Elaine and Keith's 
trailer was located on their landlord's property. Right. And the landlord was right beside, landlord was right beside them so he could, or she could see what was going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And she had made a, a, a mention to Elaine at one point that there was, I don't know, someone just brought to her attention. One of the friends that kept stopping by and Elaine kind of pushed that aside and it seemed like she didn't want to talk about it anymore. She said, that's right. a friend of Keith's and let's move on. You know, yeah. that was pretty much it. So yeah. my theory on this is that maybe there was something going on there with Keith and if maybe a man from the church, mm-hmm. someone with something to lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a crime of passion. Yeah. And it made such a statement with severed his penis and put it in his mouth. I mean, come on. Yeah, but and I said that sounded cult-like, and the police investigated that, and I mean, ran it down, did not find any reason to believe it was associated with cult practice. But, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think he was he had an alternative lifestyle, yeah. and back then, you didn't want that out at no. all. Not when you have a, a wife. And we don't know. She might have known and accepted this. Yeah. And, and this could not be true. And it's no disrespect to him, him sure. or his family. Sure. But to me, this, this is a statement that was made by someone who was angry. I don't know if Keith had, had maybe mentioned that he had to stop this and he was getting ready to move back and it, it, it you well, know, again, enraged there, someone. Yeah. And there wasn't signs of forced entry. It was somebody they knew. Right. You know, so again, it, from work, nah, either place, nah, where she worked or where he worked. But when it comes to the church and, and those people that might have a strong opinion about that, mm-hmm. I think that's likely. Right. Yeah. I mean, they weren't into drugs. I think a trace small amount of marijuana was found there. Mm-hmm. But that could have been from the killer. Yeah. But, again, they're going to go, well, nobody at the church smokes weed, so it can't be anybody right. at the church. You know, I'm not buying it. But but also, you know, along with keeping secrets in that kind of lifestyle of mm-hmm. homosexuality, you know, there's a lot of times of, of, of an escape in, in drugs or alcohol. Or, so, I mean, that could have been something that maybe he used to escape. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody. This has been Walking Between Shadows. Again, I'm your host, Ben Elliott, and my wife, Taryn Elliott. Look for our next episodes coming soon, and don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button.